When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. my pleasure to welcome you to the Clark Howard Show, where our mission is to serve and empower you so you make better financial decisions in your life. It's Friday the 13th. And some of you may think my advice is scary. Sounds more like Halloween. You're going to let me have it in this week's Clark Stinks. Later, have you noticed the for sale signs in your area staying up a little longer? In many parts of America... The housing market is showing signs of slowing. So each week, it's really important that I get feedback from you, direct feedback on whether the advice I'm doing, the information, the opinions serve you well. And there are going to be differences of opinion that are different than you feeling like I'm off the mark. But I need to hear both. And that's why you can go to Clark.com slash Clark Stinks when you hear something that doesn't quite ring right for you. So Krista goes through your posts on Clark Stinks and shares her favorites with you right here on the podcast. I should have never encouraged you to speak. You must think I'm pretty stupid. You should be ashamed of yourself. Well, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe you're right, pal. All right. Your use and definition of the 1% rule for real estate investing grates me like a wedge of Limburger cheese being taken across a kitchen grater time and time again. Please review the definition of the 1% rule. You state repeatedly one should take the current market value of their home and the monthly rent should exceed 1% of that value. My understanding and research would indicate one which should take the total amount they would need to put and the investment amount into the property mortgage repairs, etc., as the number to take 1% against and compare the monthly rent. This subtlety could and would have changed the advice provided to many of your listeners. Please correct me if you think otherwise. Kind regards and thanks to all of Team Clark, Lance. Lance, thank you very much. So, you know, the idea of the 1% rule is for two purposes. And one is, let's take what's happened in the real estate market lately, where you may have a property that you paid not a whole lot for, it's increased dramatically in value, you're moving, you're trying to decide should you keep it or sell it. So in that case, if you mark up the value for the purposes of establishing as a rental property to current market value, you may find that it's better to sell it and take the profits tax-free then to convert it to a rental property, lose the ability to sell tax-free because of the appreciation and value. And with that huge run-up, you may not be in a position to come anywhere close to getting a decent return on the now current value of the home. Now, there are people who disagree a lot and use different formulas to establish whether or not a property would be suitable for a rental. So the research you've done found that it's really what you've got 
in the property that you base the 1% on. Now, I'll tell you, I had a rental property that I had for decades, and it had a big run-up in market value, obviously, in this cycle, and I sold it, and it sold in hours, and I took the money, and that was the decision I made because what I could get in rent on the property versus what it was now worth, the gap had become so great that it made sense to me to redeploy that money elsewhere. And so that's just where my head is at. When you buy a property to turn into a rental, that's a harder game right now because what you have to pay to buy one versus what you can earn in rent makes the return on investment very iffy in a lot of cases right now with how values have stepped up. But there are professional real estate investors that even in this time of inflated home prices are buying properties turning them into rentals, being patient that the rents will eventually rise to a point to make it pay off. So the rule I give is a standardized kind of rule, but it's not something that you must follow. You have to follow what feels right to you. We heard from a few people who work for the Postal Service this week. Uh, Here's one. I've been delivering mail for over 20 years, and the current delivery issues are being caused by trouble maintaining a workforce and excessive parcel volume, especially from Amazon and other online retailers. I have more parcels every day now than, than I delivered during the busiest holiday days just a few years ago. The trucks are full, and we are making multiple runs because it's too much for our trucks to handle. New hires are quitting within months, and more people at my office have quit in the last two years than in the previous 20 years combined. Those of us that are left are on unfamiliar routes trying to deliver parcels all over the city. The strain and stress creates mistakes and delivery complaints. I worked over 400 hours of overtime last year, most of it mandated because we didn't have enough people. Hopefully this can be solved, but in the meantime, I hope listeners will stick with us and be supportive. Anonymous Mailman. Thank you. And what was the general tone of the other post? Just that you're not being fair always to the Postal Service, just with all these kind of things. Very similar. Okay, so the Postal Service is not alone, and I mentioned the delivery issues that FedEx is having right now that are kind of legendary in businesses about the reliability issues at FedEx. Uh, UPS had a terrible problem two years ago with it. Don't know they're having as much problem right now. But the Postal Service is going through terrible internal troubles under its current leadership. And there obviously are not enough people on hand. And I feel terrible for you, Anonymous, being work like crazy with the massive amounts of mandatory overtime that only increases incentives for people eligible for retirement as postal workers to go ahead and take it. So the labor shortage has got to be addressed, even if it means higher pay, and higher rates. Recently, you talked about the dangers of letting someone borrow your phone and having them transfer money to themselves through various apps. Both Venmo and GPay have security options you can turn on that will require a pin or fingerprint to unlock the apps. There are also third-party apps that will passcode lock any app on your phone that you want to have protected. While not fail-proof, these options can help and add another layer of protection. 
Thanks for all you do, Matthew. Matthew, thank you. This is exactly why we do Clark Stinks. Yep. Because, Matthew, you advanced the story here. You gave a good solution to people to protect themselves using the various pay apps. And I recommend that you follow Matthew's advice and you put into place protections like a passcode or a fingerprint to protect your money because you got no rights when you use Venmo, Cash App, um, Zelle, and the rest. And I know Zelle is running this massive ad campaign right now telling you it's the greatest thing that ever existed. Let me tell you, it's garbage. Be careful with it. I know you love to save a few pennies by using a a few drops of detergent when you wash your clothes, and maybe that works. But you said to wash everything in cold water? Clark, you cannot be serious. Dirty clothes can harbor E. coli, salmonella, and yes, even the latest COVID virus. Hot water kills germs. By the way, most experienced athletes have dealt with permanent odor in their workout clothes, and guess what? Many times that is due to bacteria also. Clark, I've never thought your advice stinks, but you have left me wondering, maybe you actually do stink, Mike. Mike, I must not work out enough because (laughs) my clothes don't have an odor after I wash them in cold water. And so, I don't know, I've not heard this thing about how by washing in cold water, I'm creating bacteria problems. Have you heard of that, Chris? I've heard different levels, like different you know, different temperatures of water are appropriate for different kinds of clothes. I have heard that. Because I wash everything in cold. Mm-hmm. I just tap, you know, mm-hmm. tap water temperature. So I'm going to do some reading on that and see if I'm <laughs> creating a danger for myself. I appreciate the post. In a recent email, you said to avoid safety deposit boxes in banks and credit unions and said that you use a fireproof safe anchored in your home. So how easy was it to take it with you when you recently moved into your new place? Most people do not know how to determine the fire ratings or difficulty of opening small home safes, and bank vaults are much more secure. Just check on them periodically, especially if there's a change in the ownership of the bank. Large home safes can be very expensive. Not everyone has the same abilities as you to buy those, Michael. Michael, I bought, I appreciate that, I bought a really, really heavy safe for $300, it has an extreme fire rating, and it took four of us to get that safe in place. And it was $299 for that safe. So I would eat that up and what I'd have to pay a bank or credit union for a safe deposit box. I'm just really worried, you know, most states have very poor protections for you if the bank mismanages your safety deposit box. I've had the misfortune of doing that story on TV more than once where people have lost their possessions in a safe deposit box and the bank just shrugs its shoulders. So I I don't trust the banks in this area. And so I know I'm not somebody who says, go put your money in a mattress, but I don't trust the banks when it comes to safe deposit boxes. And so you're hearing that built-in bias from me. You don't stink, but when you were talking about stolen catalytic converters, you could have mentioned the theft of these may be covered by insurance as part of comprehensive coverage. My daughter's converter was stolen about a month ago, and she was only out of pocket the deductible for a $2,500 repair. She had to file a police report as part of the insurance claim. Continue to fight the good fight, Clark. Robert. Robert, thank you, and that's a great suggestion that that could, in fact, be a comprehensive claim. 
against your auto insurance and it's a large enough claim that it's usually worth it to make that claim instead of paying out of pocket. And ironically, Byron started his Clark Stinks out by saying this, you smell like a failing catalytic converter on a hot day. You talked at length about the ID4 as an alternative to the Tesla, but didn't even consider the Mustang Mach-E. That's the closest comparison to the Tesla, and some would say it's superior. Don't be such a Tesla fanboy next time. I thought you liked market competition. The Mach-E deserves at least as much attention as Volkswagen. And again, that's from Byron. Byron, thank you for that. And you're right. The Mustang Mach-E, I think, is great looking. Um, I I know there are uh, Mustang aficionados who resent it, who think that it is... um, treading on the Mustang name? I don't think so at all. I think it really captures some of the spirit of the original Mustang. People are really enjoying the Mustang Mach-E. And so you have said it, and I agree with what you've said. Clark, what gives? Did you forget to brush this morning? You stink. (laughs) Your Clark raged with Apple and Google for exerting control over their app store, but grocery stores exert similar control over their shelves, right? I'm interested to hear your thoughts about this, Mary. Mary, gosh, what an interesting point. I guess you're talking about slotting fees where the supermarkets charge the brand name manufacturers uh, these extortionate fees for their products being slotted on the shelves. The marketplace is speaking strongly against slotting as people are gravitating to where they get better prices on their groceries and other consumer goods, and they don't even realize that they're migrating to stores that don't play the dirty slotting game. So your point is really valid. When you walk into a store and you see a prime display of something, maybe it's what they call an end cap at the end of an aisle or at eye level, the manufacturer of those brand name items may be paying a fee uh, like a um, a rental fee or a promotional fee to have their items displayed that way. And that gets baked into the price of the product instead of you being offered a lower price. So good point and thank you for making it. You had a listener who is still using an iPhone 5 and looking for guidance on saving money for an upgrade. I heard you say there will be deals in the fall on the iPhone 12 I just wanted to point out that there's another option. The iPhone SE is $399 all the time. It's a simpler and less expensive option, especially if you can't wait for the sales on other models. I'm still going strong with my iPhone 6S, and when I heard about the iPhone SE from my sister, I knew it would be my eventual replacement for my current phone, Sarah. Sarah, thank you for that suggestion, and people have been really, really happy with the SE version of the iPhone. And it is designed to be at a price point that people can live in the Apple walled garden at a very reasonable price, priced at about what a mid-price Android would be. And it was a very, very smart move by Apple to do it. And Clark, 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 you really touted the Walmart tuition reimbursement plan as if it's actually a meaningful benefit to their workforce. Walmart knows in an in- an infantes I can't say it. Infantesimal. An infantes 
an infinitesimally small you number. Got it, you got it. Small number of employees will mm. ever take advantage of it, while Walmart will reap tremendous PR, as evidenced by your gushing pronouncement. You even commented on how few IBMers took advantage of that plan. Tuition reimbursement is universally seldom used by employees, and among retail, the take rate will be immeasurably small. Matt. So, Matt, your points are all accurate, except I would say that the reason that Walmart is doing this, now Target is doing it, and other people, is it um, Starbucks that's done that for yep, a long Starbucks time? Yeah, Starbucks has done that for a while. Chick-fil-A has had a tuition scholarship program for years to encourage high schoolers to come to work for them. doesn't pay for college, but gives scholarship money towards college. The reason they do this is not for the initial PR hit, although maybe that's helpful to them. The real purpose is retention, because what is death for retailers and restaurateurs is turnover. So by giving people a reason to stay in the job is a really good reason. Uh, And the reason you hear me talk about it, Matt, is... I take these calls from people and I I do the stories on television about people who've got these massive amounts of student loan debt. And I want people who are prime college age to know there are ways to avoid that debt entirely. And so you work while you're going through school and you get tuition reimbursement from an employer. You get that college degree at basically no cost. So it is true that most people don't have the desire or motivation to take advantage of the benefit, but that doesn't, in my opinion, make the benefit a meaningless benefit at all. It is there for the taking. You know, next, the housing market may have peaked. New stats suggest it may have, and I want to tell you what the implications are for you is a home buyer or a home seller? Guess about six weeks ago, Krista first heard, and then following that, I started hearing anecdotal reports from people in residential real estate that there was a shift taking place in the market. And Krista, you heard it from people in different parts of the United States, didn't you? Yes, my father's a realtor, um, and then a friend of mine's a realtor in a totally different state. So, And then some realtors in our state told me as well that all of a sudden things seem to like really get quiet. So agents, you know, they're in a sales profession. They always overestimate the drama of the move in a market up or down. But there is tangible evidence that the frenzy in the home selling market is cooling off. Not that the market has cooled, but that there is a cooling going on. One of the methods of proof is something from Redfin that shows that the number of listed homes that are getting price cuts is rising significantly. That that was something that if you go back during the hottest part of this residential market it was something where people in so many communities were putting homes on the market and getting crazy numbers of offers almost immediately and the reality is that still happens in some real estate sub markets in the country 
but we've hit that point of price resistance. Prices moved up so much that we outran affordability for so many potential home buyers that we're seeing this change in pricing. The latest data concerns July, and the median home sale price in the United States went down July over June. That's the first time since the market really has seen that kind of change. The market for typical residential real estate is up overall in the country, best guesstimate, close to 20% over the last year. I mean, that's crazy, crazy acceleration in value. And just like with anything else with stocks or anything you're buying and selling, the market overshoots on the high end and the low end. So I don't know exactly where it means we go from here, but I will tell you one of the most significant statistics during the peak of the overheated housing market, the number of homes listed for sale was shockingly low. And that number now keeps rising. And so the number of homes available for sale according to biz journals is the highest it's been this year so the market is not about to fall off a cliff i mean i can't even begin to tell you how many people have said clark this is a bubble isn't it isn't it in the housing market going to collapse like it did after 2007 and the truth is no it is not going to collapse the conditions that would lead to a collapse in the housing market do not exist. But is the value of homes going to moderate from here? I think absolutely. Could home prices fall a little bit? They certainly could because more and more potential buyers are going on buyer's strike. And that says that we have almost certainly in much of the country have hit the peak on housing values. Again, there is no collapse in the cards. The latest thing I've read is, oh, the market's going to collapse because foreclosures can begin again, because the foreclosure moratorium is ending, and that people are going to be in a position where they're going to get wiped out of their houses, there's going to be a flood of foreclosed houses on the market, blah, blah, blah. No, this is all people fighting the last war of what happened with the housing market 2007 to 12. Our conditions are very, very different. Then we had a big surplus of homes in the United States. Today we have an overall shortage, so I would not worry about that a bit. One positive I thought I heard um, from my dad was that he said people are, are starting to request inspections again. Yeah, yeah. That was one of the funniest things was people were having to buy houses as is, no inspection, and a lot of uh, zip codes in the country having to write letters to sellers to convince them that of the 14 offers they've received, that theirs was the one that they would like them to consider for the following reasons. And so... I think the letter writing days are coming to an end for now in the housing market. 
This is from Elliot in California. My friends and I rented a house through Airbnb for a bachelor party. This, this house had only one bathroom. While one of the guests was showering, he noticed the bathroom door was not installed properly and came off in the middle of showering. We attempted to put it back and the glass door shattered, covering me and the bathroom with heads of glass. We called the host and he came and cleaned it up. I explained what happened and he informed me that he would go through Airbnb but continued to let us use his house. A few days after the stay ended, I received an email stating the host was requesting $4,000 in damages. I refused to pay the amount because I thought it was absurdly high. Today, four months later, I get a second email saying that the Airbnb resolutions team has decided I'm liable to pay $2,900. Can I do anything? All right. So we're only hearing your side of the story, Elliot, but this is a, a crazy situation if the shower door was not properly installed, came off while someone was showering, and you ended up in a position where, fortunately, no one was cut by the glass. Um, that's the important thing. But to hold you liable without any proof that you caused the problem is really questionable. So with Airbnb, there is an appeals process, and I think you need to follow that full appeals process. And Elliot, this is tough because neither of you, the owner of the property nor you, has true proof what happened, especially since the owner came over, helped clean it up and all the rest. Um, you are in a position where you face a negotiation, essentially, with the owner of the property and with Airbnb. There is no simple way to resolve this. Um, I know in the midst of having it shatter and all that, nobody shot video or pictures or anything likely. So this is a hard one. I would get an estimate what it costs for a shower door. Uh, I'm, I guess it's possible that one is that expensive, although it must be a really, really fancy one to cost that much and to have it installed. So this is uh, a situation with no winners and the key is for you, if you do end up with some financial liability, that it is a reasonable and shared amount. This is from Jeremy in South Carolina. I hear you talk about the menacing big banks, but I'm wondering what to do if I already have a few accounts and a credit card with one of these banks. Are there fees to move my accounts to a credit union? Will it hurt my credit to cancel the credit card I have with them? Also, the big banks, unfortunately, are everywhere. Will I have trouble obtaining cash or help if I am traveling and my credit union is not around? So, Jeremy, great question. We had a similar question just a few weeks ago about the move from a giant monster mega bank to a local credit union. So, you would not want to close the credit card you have with the giant monster mega bank. The uh, only time you would want to consider that is if it had an annual fee and then just get another card with the credit union or even with the bank that has no annual fee. You also uh, are able to move your accounts, your regular accounts, to someone else, a credit union, an online bank, whatever, and have no fees at all for moving your account. As far as obtaining cash, credit unions have a co-op network 
where you can go to, with most credit unions, you have access to the co-op network, where you can go to credit union offices, what are called shared offices, all over America. And the amount of shared offices available is much larger than the number of branches that any large bank has in the United States. So don't worry so much. Be happy. You don't have to be with a giant monster mega bank. And my hope still is, is the Congress will find its way to do what's happening in other countries where your accounts are fully portable, just like cell phones became portable, where you could move your number from one company to another. There's laws in other countries that require that your bill pays and direct deposits and all your bank transactions that are electronic are portable from one institution to another. We need that in the United States to generate competition in the financial sector. Okay, and Brian in Georgia says, during the pandemic when high school sports began to come back, most schools went to a digital ticketing system. It allows people to buy digital tickets to high school sporting events and was billed as safe. The app requires someone to touch your phone to validate your purchase ticket in order to enter the venue. But that's not the worst part. They charge a convenience fee of around 20% for each ticket purchased. A $5 ticket to my son's football scrimmage comes with a $1 convenience fee. That's certainly not convenient for me. How can this atrocity be addressed? And there's lots of people unhappy about places that used to sell paper tickets going to these electronic systems. And the way they're always pitched to a venue, a theater, a uh, you know, a um, high school, anybody is, hey, you've got costs that are involved with generating your tickets. We're going to eliminate that cost for you. But what they don't talk about is that cost is being borne by the customer. In the case of a high school, the parents of the students. And that's just not okay. So it's up to parents to make a fuss with the school to not adopt these ticketing systems that cost money and it's the same issue i've had with ticketmaster forever is convenience for who and what it is not a convenience it is an inconvenience and i remember the original ticketmaster surcharge you're gonna laugh was a quarter a ticket and now you look at buying from any of these ticket sellers and I'll tell you, they're in a much better business than bank robbery because they don't have to use a weapon. And it's much more effective as a way to run off with people's money. I'm so glad you joined us for today's episode. For more advice, contact our free Team Clark Consumer Action Center. You can find their number and hours at clark.com CAC.